Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Today is an exciting day for me because, and for us as a church, because we are starting this journey through the book of Galatians. We've been talking and praying and planning and thinking of what would be the next book we would study, and by God's grace, He's led us to the book of Galatians. And Paul writes in the fifth chapter, in the first verse, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So as we consider the book of Galatians and the weeks and the months ahead, I want you to think of freedom. Freedom. Because do you remember when you heard the good news for the first time and what that has done to you? How that totally changed your world. When you heard this message and you came to understand this message, this amazing message of the long-awaited God-man who made a way that a sinner like you can be accepted by God. Who gave his life that you can be totally forgiven. Forgiven of all your sin forever. Who made this incredible payment with his life and he says, you know what? It's free. It's yours. He doesn't ask you to pay or do anything to earn this forgiveness. Rather he says, this free gift he gives, he gives us so much love. And he gives it to those who would turn from their life of sin and their own efforts and trust him and believe in him on what he has done. And as you recognize how badly you've messed up in this world when you were confronted with the risen Lord Jesus it all changed it all changed you will remember perhaps that you never felt as free from the power and the struggle of sin as that day when you trusted in Jesus for salvation where this incredible weight was lifted off your shoulders And you felt so light, you felt totally free. Free from God's judgment, free from man's approval, free from your own efforts to be right with God. You totally felt forgiven. And you recognize how that was all grace. All this free, undeserved kindness from God. But as time goes by, that sense of freedom is being challenged. Challenged by the world. The society we live in, challenged by our own thinking and our own feelings, even challenged by those who sit next to us in the church, telling us how we have to do all these things to be 
a good member of the church. Where people then actually turn their back on grace. And seek to be right with God with how much they do things right. Allowing that inner legalist, you could say, to come out of the closet. Because even though you start this Christian journey embracing that free grace from God, you distort that grace. You blur the message of the gospel. Because of how you're relating to God and dealing with sin and the pressures of life. And what do you do? You try and make some kind of self-payment for something that is free. Because as you think about God and you struggle with sin, and you see how you fail, people are confronted with these feelings of guilt. Right? And you're trying to figure out what to do with these feelings of guilt. And what happens? You somehow make it about you again and what you should do to be right with God. Somehow desperately clinging to that last little good thing you've done to be accepted by Him. And guilt can be a powerful thing, you know. Because if you think about it, you'll agree with me that the ongoing feelings of guilt can drive someone to a life of desperation. Constantly feeling overwhelmed. Because you just can't seem to get things right. And surely God must be upset with you. Guilt can even drive this sense of feeling inferior. That you're not good enough. Running away from God instead of running toward Him. That you don't deserve God's kindness and grace, but as you look at your circumstances, surely God must be upset with you. And the more we think about it, so many of the good things we do are motivated by guilt. Like even reading your Bible. Instead of it being the sweet time of worship with God, it becomes this obligation, this checklist item. We just want to tick the box and it becomes legalistic again. We try and keep the commands of God to feel right with God. And essentially what ends up happening is we turn the unconditional love of God into conditional love. When you start to believe that He loves you and He's pleased with you because of all the right things you do for Him. Now theologically, when we talk about this, this means that people are basing their justification on their sanctification. Being declared right with God with how much they are becoming or not becoming more like God. Which is a problem. And the gospel of Jesus gets distorted. The Apostle Paul was shocked of how quickly people can distort the truth of the gospel. And turn their back on God. And go back to the prison of self-effort and despair. To the bondage of trying to keep the commands of God in order to be right with God. Turning to lies to indicate that Christ is simply not enough. You could almost say, this is something that would have left him speechless. But as we will turn to Galatians, we see that he is not speechless, is he? In fact, we will see he had a lot to say and he said it with great fire, with passion, with great concern. And he was going to stay firmly and as direct as he could. Let me just give you a few examples. In Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
Chapter 3 verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Chapter 4 verse 11. I'm afraid I may have labored in vain. Chapter 5 verse 4. You are severed, separated from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now the Galatians found themselves in a very serious situation. Paul was engaged in the battle for the gospel and in response he unpacks the heart of the good news of what it means to be justified in Christ. Justified by faith alone in Christ alone. He wants to preserve the purity of the gospel and he wants to unpack this letter in the weeks and months ahead for us and we're going to see that Christ is central in the theology of Paul and everything he did on the cross. We're going to see it's all about Jesus. We're going to see the important emphasis on the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of believers and how all Christians are to live in true freedom by depending on the Spirit. Paul tackles the issue of the role of the law in the Christian life. Helping us understand the relationship between the old covenant that God made with Moses and Israel and how we as Christians today live under the new covenant which is fulfilled in Christ. Because if we are not justified by keeping the law, keeping all these rules and conforming to Jewish practices, then what are we supposed to do with the law of God? We will see in this letter that God's Word teaches us that He is against any kind of practices or behavior from believers that take away from the work of Christ. That neglect the absolute need of the Spirit. And that create barriers between people. The very barriers that Christ came to demolish. Paul is defending the period of the Gospel. And so should we. And so he is taking us back to understanding grace. Understanding grace and the total forgiveness we have in Christ. If we get the gospel wrong, we get Jesus wrong. And people are being confronted with different gospels every single day. People are being lured away from Christ and turning away from grace, depending on themselves rather than on God. And so I'm excited to study this book with you because Galatians is going to help us recognize how totally forgiven we are in Christ. So that we can live freely in obedience to Christ. Now if you have read the book of Galatians, and I hope you have, the big picture we can divide into three sections. Chapter 1 and 2 is all about Paul's apostolic authority. He's dealing with this issue of his apostolic authority, explaining the importance and the, the origin of this authority in his teaching. Indicating to us that Jesus is still with us through the teaching of the apostles even today. In chapter 3 and 4, he gets into the, the core issues of justification by faith alone. How we are the only accepted by God and declared right with God based on what someone else did. Nothing we did. Justification by faith alone, with the emphasis on faith and alone. And not any works of the law. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he unpacks what it looks like practically. 
What the life free in Christ really looks like is we depend on the Spirit of God to live lives of joyful obedience as liberated free Christians. Now Paul's letter to the Galatians was written sometime in the late 40s or early 50s of the first century. And therefore it was one of the very first letters written in the New Testament. So we've got to recognize it's not long, too long after Jesus went to heaven. Now many scholars have debated who exactly the Galatians were. Because the letter in the opening address says, to the churches of Galatia. And there are a couple of theories out there. But we know from Scripture in Acts 13 and 14 that Paul planted churches in the area of southern Galatia on his first missionary journey. And once he left, these false teachers came in and these churches personally attacking Paul. We see this in Galatians 4 verse 17. Now some scholars believe that Galatians here actually refer to the ethnic Gauls, the, the ethnic locals of the northern region of Galatia. Those who migrated to Asia Minor up north. And this overall area of Galatia has changed over time through the various leadership at that time, creating this distinctive northern and southern part. And originally many people thought that it's the Galatians of the north that Paul was writing to. But we don't have any records of Paul actually traveling there and starting churches in those areas. And you might wonder, well, so what? Does that make a difference? Whether it's north or south, or who actually received the letter. Well, it makes a difference because we want to understand exactly how Paul was traveling through the book of Acts. We want to be able to understand the historical teaching of God's Word through the book of Acts. And as we have it recorded in history, we want to know if Paul's confrontation with Peter in Galatians 2 happens before or after the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Where the very issue of circumcision was being addressed, one of the big themes of this letter. But as we get to those passages, we'll dive into some more of those details together. But most likely, scholars agree that Paul is writing to the churches in southern Galatia. The churches that he planted in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. To reach the Gentiles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, this is all in Acts 13 and 14. And you see, while Paul was in southern Galatia, he almost lost his life. The Jewish leaders were so opposed to him and his message that they stoned him and left him for dead. And so Paul has already gone through a lot of suffering to see this message go forth. And as soon as he left the churches that he planted there, these so-called Jewish Christians that we're going to call Judaizers, we're going to get to know more about these Judaizers in our study of Galatians, they came to teach a different version of the Gospel. A message that says Jesus justifies you and saves you, but that's not the full picture. To get the full picture, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses as well. And essentially, you have to become like the Jews. And go back to their religion and their ways to be recognized as God's people. And it's a sad reality that these guys were successful to some extent. Hence the fact that we have this letter in front of us today. And hence the fact that Paul was writing directly to the church. He wasn't writing to these false teachers. He was writing to the church. 
And he's going to rebuke them. To this mixed group of Gentiles and Jews in the church who are turning their back on the true gospel. Now these false teachers, they must have been quite persuasive. And we will see that there's a number of arguments they could have made. They could have pointed out to the advantages of circumcision, sharing in the blessings of Abraham, securing their identity as the sons of God, something Paul's going to address in the letter. They could have been pointing out how all these extra things will help you actually fight against the desires of the flesh. Not fighting the flesh with the Spirit of God, but by your own efforts. And so you can imagine... These churches in Galatia, they were wondering, did Paul give us the full story then? Do we really have it all in Jesus like Paul said? To get us where we need to be spiritually with God. So deceived and confused are they about their faith, they were even willing, as one man says, to submit to the knife and get circumcised. Which is no small step for any of them to take given the physical risk involved. And all their confusion and lack of clear thinking, Paul is rebuking them to say, whatever is not Christ alone should be left alone. And we need to hear that too. Whatever is not Christ alone should be left alone. And as we don't have to look too far in history, we see the impact this letter of Galatians had on the church. If we think of the, the great reformation, right? Martin Luther. He was predominantly dealing with the Catholic Church and how they're adding to the gospel, making man's authority higher than God's authority. And how he himself was angry at God, not allowing man to reach God's standard by himself. But after embracing the, the truth from Galatians, he says in his own lectures of this letter, and I quote, he says, I do not seek my own act of righteousness. I ought to have it and perform it, but it's clear that even if I did have it and perform it, I cannot trust in it or stand up before the judgment of God on the basis of it. Thus I embrace only the righteousness of Christ, which we do not perform but receive, which we do not have but accept, when God the Father grants it to us through Jesus Christ. And so why does the letter of Galatians have such a liberating influence. Because we all need to be reminded that true freedom, the true freedom we have in Jesus Christ. We all need to go back to the right understanding of the grace of God to protect the purity of the gospel. But if we want to get back to understand grace and the purity of the gospel, where should we start? Where do we start? Well, Paul, Paul starts by writing in this letter, taking us back to grace, pointing out that firstly, the authority of the messenger, and secondly, the message of authority. We're going to talk about the authority of the messenger, verses 1 and 2, and then the message of authority, verses 3 and 5. So if you haven't done so already, let's read Galatians, and uh, let's open up to the book of Galatians, and I'll read the first five verses for us. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. 
to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul's letter to the Galatians is famous not only for all the doctrine that it teaches, but for the way the letter is written. Because Paul is like a distressed parent who cries out to stop a wandering child heading into a busy street, knowing that the child's life is in great danger. But here we have more than just the physical danger of being injured by a car. We are talking about eternal consequences. Where the danger is, if you get the message of Jesus wrong, you get the grace of God wrong. And so, to show the importance of this message, we first have to consider the authority of the messenger. The messenger who takes us back to show us how the gospel has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with Jesus and His free gift of grace. This is verse 1. The authority of the messenger. Paul, an apostle, not from men, Not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead. See, this letter opens in a similar, yet different way from some of the other letters that we find in the New Testament. We clearly see the author, who is Paul, someone which I'm excited that we're going to get to know a little bit more through this book of Galatians. And as we study this letter, this former radical legalist himself, and after... That we get the name of, after the name of the author, it is followed by his credentials, an apostle. But instead of writing a nice little introduction to say what he's thankful for in the church or how he's blessing them for God's work among them, like he does with the Corinthians, even these pagan Corinthians and the way they behave, he leaves all of that out because of the seriousness of what he's about to say. He's showing us the urgency with which he writes. And he's upset. This letter should be read with the tone of a man that is not happy. He has taught people the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. And now this gospel is being messed with. And Paul is not going to be laid back about it. And so he has to start to establish his authority if he's going to take them back to grace. So that they can feel the weight of the rebuke that is coming their way. He is about to confront the Galatian churches for turning away from the true gospel and being so influenced because these false accusers, they are trying to discredit Paul. And therefore discredit his message. Which seems like an obvious strategy, right? If you want people not to believe someone's message, you just have to point out all the issues with the one giving the message. It's hard for people, for example, to vote for a president when he's campaigning and all of a sudden all these you know, things come out of the closet. All these stories and, that hinder his reputation. But in the ancient world, an apostle is someone who was officially sent. A messenger or an ambassador of God. And specifically in the New Testament, it meant someone that is the official spokesperson for Jesus Christ. Now again, you think of these press conferences that we have, or even throughout this 
COVID season. Every time someone speaks about COVID, it's as if they are speaking for the president, right? And this is what the apostles were. They, what they said about Jesus was is as if Jesus is saying it about Jesus. Which makes what they say very important. And we know that Jesus himself called and commissioned the original twelve for this work. But some of these critics, they are quick to point out that Paul didn't qualify. Paul was a little late to the party. This kind of makes him a a second-rate apostle of some sort. In their opinion, someone that is self-appointed. And he shouldn't be as taken as seriously as the other apostles in their teaching. And so right at the start of this letter, Paul is not being defensive about his own reputation, but rather he knows if people are able to discredit him, it's, it's as if they discredit Jesus and his message as well. So in Paul's mind, there is so much on the line here. If these guys were able to prove he is not legitimate, they can prove his message of free grace is not legitimate as well. And gives more weight to their version of the gospel with all this cultural pressure that comes from Jesus and adding stuff like circumcision to be a real Christian Jew. And you have to do all these works of the law to be right with God. And so in Paul's mind, what is at stake here is not simply his reputation, but it's our salvation. Our salvation. You see, when it comes to the purity of the gospel, Paul was not simply going to give these people a gentle little pep talk. He is going to get serious. What does he do to establish his authority? Well, the first thing he does is he points out the source of his authority. The source of his authority. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. In his classic defense of the gospel here, Paul starts by making it clear that the true gospel and all of its power was given to him by way of divine revelation. And not by any kind of human tradition. I mean, you already pick up this intense tone that Paul is writing with, with the word not. You know, Paul, an apostle, not from men. Let me just make this very clear to you right now. Not from any man. I didn't take on this job and make up this message myself. I wasn't set apart to be an apostle in the church of Antioch or something like that from men. I wasn't set apart by any other human authority either. Someone like Peter or, or James. Or any of the other apostles. But how then? Well, Paul says, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is stating it clear and very clear to these guys that there's a big difference between him and these false teachers already. It was the risen Lord Jesus that appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts 9. That changed this violent, legalistic enemy of Jesus. To his divinely appointed ambassador. And if you stop and think about it. It's really important. Because if Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And if you discredit him. You might as well throw out the rest of your Bible. And it's only here in Galatians. That Paul attributes the apostolic status to Jesus. And God the Father. 
And it's only here in Galatians that he refers to the resurrection specifically in connection to this apostolic status as well. In the book of Romans, the resurrection is mentioned, but it's not explicitly linked to the status of being an apostle, like we see here in Galatians. Now, by mentioning the resurrection already at the start of the letter, and in connection with Paul trying to establish his authority, this would have been very relevant to his audience and those who are causing problems in the church. Not only because to be an apostle you had to be a witness of the risen Jesus. Yes, we all know that by now. But because remember, most Jews viewed and believed that the ultimate establishment of God's kingdom would be marked how? Well, by the resurrection of people from the dead. And Paul now already, right here at the start, points to one of the key theological arguments in the letter. That in Christ, God has started a new age in salvation history. Which changes everything. Especially how people should relate to the law of Moses. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything about how believers are to live in the light of the law of God. And Paul saw the resurrected Jesus. He was given a job by the resurrected Jesus. He was given a message by the resurrected Jesus. And this resurrected Jesus was raised to life by God the Father. Showing us the, the, how the various persons of the Trinity are at work here to give Paul this apostolic status and this commissioning. So Paul had every reason to be zealous about the true gospel when it came under attack because he was commissioned to be the spokesperson of Jesus. He was given authority by the highest authority there is in the entire universe. And so this helps us understand that why he sounds so intense in this letter. But he also points out that Actually, he's not the only one here. Verse 2. He sends his letter with all the brothers and sisters that are with him. Now, we don't know exactly who these people are that he's referring to, but he includes this wider group to show that he's not alone in this. Paul is not a lone ranger like these accusers are saying. This gospel of free grace was understood and lived out by others. People who were not deceived. And who were not turning to another gospel. And so at least for a moment you have to think for yourself. How amazing it is that Jesus. Even though he's in heaven right now. Sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He is still speaking to us today. Through the instructions of the apostles. Right? And your attitude towards the apostles teaching. In, is an indication of your attitude towards God. Towards Jesus. Matthew 10 verse 40 Jesus says. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Paul's message is Jesus' message. And we must accept that if you are going to add to the gospel, and mess with the gospel, you bring the wrath of God on yourself. That is why we are so serious about studying the Bible. That is why we encourage you to take notes, even here at church. Not to be legalistic, but to help you understand the truth from God's Word. So, when others come and want to lead you astray, you are not able 
to turn from the truth. One commentator, John Stott, he says, This then is our dilemma. Are we to accept Paul's account of the origin of this message, supported as it is by solid historical evidence, or shall we prefer our own theory, although supported by no historical evidence? If Paul was right in asserting that his gospel was not man's but God's, then to reject Paul is to reject Jesus. But let me ask you, what is the authoritative voice in your life right now? Is it you? Is it your culture? Is it your circumstances? Or is it the authoritative word of God? I like another exhortation that another man gives. He says, I am persuaded that every Christian has a responsibility to interpret the Bible as accurately as possible. And not just read it to have it say things we wanted to say or things that we like. It sounds nice about Jesus. God gave us His authoritative word through the apostles. If we neglect it and come up with our own ideas about it, then we too are in danger of messing up the gospel. Where we create our own ideas about who God is and how to be accepted by Him. See, but not only does Paul establish his authority as the messenger, to take people back to grace, he points to the true message of authority. The true message of authority. The message that brings true liberty, the gospel of grace. This is verses 3 to 5. The message of authority. Paul wrote this. He was given this by Jesus. And he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, this little word in verse 3 is so big, according to Paul's message and what it's all about, because it's exactly what these churches in Galatia needed to be reminded of. This little word, grace. It's all grace. Grace to you, Galatia. Even though he knows they have made a mess of things, he wants them to remember the grace and peace that comes from Jesus. But Paul also knows that the Galatians will struggle to go back to grace because they are losing confidence in the gospel that he preached. Because he is in fact the real agent of God's grace, but they need to see that again. And so what does he do? He unpacks this message of authority. You see, in this opening introduction, Paul is showing us that Jesus did it all. He's showing us that we did nothing to earn this grace. He knows that the Galatians has to explain and be explained and convinced that the grace of God is more than enough for their spiritual needs. And so, even if you are sitting here today and you're frustrated, you're tired of relying on yourself, and you want to experience the true freedom of peace and grace, and understand what Paul is saying through this message. And firstly, we need to see the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins. Who gave Himself for our sins, verse 4. You see, the resurrection that Paul already referred to is only one part of the gospel. 
And he most likely did that because of how relevant and fresh this was in his thinking regarding his commissioning as an apostle. And it proves how God has defeated death. Yes, but by itself the resurrection is not the gospel. And so Paul brings in the crucifixion. Paul is describing grace and making it clear that salvation has always been from Jesus. And only Jesus. And this is clear that, and that Jesus is willing, He willingly went to the cross for us. Jesus gave the most precious gift there was to give. Himself. Ephesians 5.25, Paul says how Jesus gave Himself up for the church. And as a result, it empowers us to love like Jesus loves. No one took His life and we are reminded that He is the only one who freely gave it away. He freely gave it for you. And specifically we see the purpose of the cross. Why? He gave His life willingly for our sins. If it wasn't for Jesus dying, His earthly ministry would have shown us how amazing God is through all the miracles and things like that. But without dying, we would still have a problem. A problem of not being right with God because of our sin. No person can get rid of their sin on their own. This is what Romans 3 verse 20 says. Even though they might try and try and try again and again and again, the goal is not for our sins just to stop. The gospel says it must be forgiven. Christ came to be that perfect offering that we need so that we can be forgiven. Christ came to show amazing grace. He gathered up all our sins. He put it on Himself, on His shoulders. He nailed it through His hands and feet and He paid it with His death. And because of this sacrifice, it enables God the Father to forgive the legalist, to forgive the proud, to forgive the self-righteous, to forgive those who are trying to add to the finished work of Jesus. Because it's only the death of Christ that satisfies the pure justice of God the Father. And this is where our confidence lies. Not in our own ability to clean ourselves up to be accepted by God, but only in God and what Jesus has done by cleansing us with His lifeblood. Shedding it for our personal sins. Why did Jesus die? For your sins. And the believer has to preach this to himself daily. Just like Martha and Luther did. Because when the devil comes around to accuse you, once again, Luther says, he says to you, yeah, you're a sinner, and so you're damned. But we can answer him and say, because you say, I am a sinner, I therefore shall be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. You are guilty. No, I say, for I take refuge in Jesus, who has given himself for my sins. Because next Paul explains the effect of the cross. His willingness to go to the cross, the purpose of the cross for our sins, and now the effect of the cross to deliver us from the present evil age. 
Not only does God's grace reach down to bring us to God and to forgive us from our sins, but to deliver us, to rescue us from the world that we live in. This is real freedom language. This is real deliverance. Paul is not simply speaking about being delivered from the guilt of your sin, which is true, yes, but he's also talking about being delivered from the power. The power of this present evil age. Jesus gave his life willingly so that you don't have to be enslaved to this present evil age anymore. Do you recognize that? This evil age talking about the life that is totally dominated by sin in opposition to God. This age that is dominated by self-righteousness, by death, by evil, oppression, slavery, abortion, divorces, abuse, pornography. This age of trying to keep the law by yourself to be right with God. This age that is dominated by the evil one. Because it's when Jesus came and died and rose from the dead that this new age came into reality. There was a significant change that took place in salvation history where grace was unleashed upon the world in Jesus Christ and through His message of authority, even as we who continue to live in this fallen world have been set free. The true gospel sets us free so that we can live lives that glorify God. One commentator says, The age came, the age to come has burst into the present age. Think about that. Where we no longer have to live the way we used to. Are you still living as if you are dominated by the present evil age? The way the Judaizers insisted the Galatians should live. Because think about it, God has released you from living a life that is so dominated by sin and the flesh. He has rescued you from living a life dependent on your own efforts. And He has released you by His grace. And even through this age, we still live in this wickedness. Yes, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. This world with all its energy and propaganda to distort the message of grace and authority... Trying to convince you that Jesus is not enough. This world that says everything goes. You can be whoever you want to be. The message of authority shows that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to cleanse me from all my sin. All the sin that consumes me in this present evil age. Because we have been set free to live for Him. Through faith in what He did. So when we pray, Lord deliver us from evil, like in Matthew 6 verse 13, we know we are asking God to finish the work that He began on the cross. And because He died for us, we are delivered, we are rescued, and it's all grace. Right? And all that grace is then evident in the origin of the cross. The origin of the cross, according to the will of God, our God and Father, in the verse 4. We know the execution of Jesus was not simply this unforeseen tragedy, just a random accident in history. 
I mean, the Apostle Peter, he captures it well in Acts 2.23. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is all the same thing that Paul has been telling the Galatians. The cross and the way to be right with God has always been part of God's plan through Jesus. Salvation has always been planned to be displayed through suffering and grace. Where the willingness of the Son comes in response to the will of the Father. As one man says, God the Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. And so Paul is trying to make it very clear that salvation has everything to do with God. Because where are you in all these verses? Where does it say you have to do X, Y, and Z to be saved? Or to be right with God? Where does it say you have to keep the law and be circumcised to be accepted by God? And so Paul is reminding us right here at the start of Galatians that the message of authority is a message of grace and freedom. It's a message of liberation. Jesus was willing. He died for our sins, for your sins, to rescue us from a life dominated by sin and evil. Because it's always been the Father's plan and in His heart to save His people. By faith alone, in Christ alone. And so even as we start this journey in the study of Galatians, Paul wants to make it clear that the gospel is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. Not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. And this gospel has to be announced and preached to our own hearts to release us from any thoughts and beliefs of what we have to do is our own efforts to be right with Jesus. To be accepted by Him. God came in Jesus to die for us. So this message can be proclaimed through the teaching of the Apostles. Through the teaching of Paul. And that's why all the glory goes to him. Verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If salvation is what God has done from start to finish. Then it makes all sense right. That all the glory goes to him from start to finish. As one commentator again says. It's literally that this glory is into the ages of the ages, which, like this present ill age, will never pass away. If all the glory goes to God, then it's clear, what comes our way is just the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. We cannot try and put ourselves in the place to replace what Jesus has done completely. We are tempted to forget this grace, We forget that Jesus is all we need. That He is enough. And we forget how forgiven we are in Christ. But we know this grace is real. Again, Titus, he puts it like this. We've looked at this before. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what does this grace do beyond salvation? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Well, when? 
in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Based on what do we have hope to be released of the power of this age? Well, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. Grace is everything. God's grace is everything. That is how we can fight sin. By the grace of God. It's the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus that opens up this wonderful letter to the Galatians. This letter that's going to help us understand justification. This letter that's going to help us understand sanctification and glorification. And as I was reading and preparing for this message, this one old hymn came my way. And one old hymn says this, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sin, sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. And then you ask yourself, what are the triumphs of His grace? Well, He says, He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. What this letter to the Galatians is going to remind us and teach us is that when we mess up in this world, we go back to grace. We are not ignoring our sin. We're not hiding our sin, pretending it's not there, or trying to blame it on others like my family, my friends, or my co-workers. We don't blame it on our circumstances. Rather, we deal with our sin and guilt with the power of God's transforming grace. It is the cross that we find, at the cross that we find the right perspective of the purity of the gospel. That Jesus paid it all. I can't earn this grace. It was given to me free by my Savior. And I don't need anything else to be accepted by Him. And so in our study of Galatians, we will see how we are to respond to this grace by fighting sin and the power of the Spirit. And so Paul is establishing the authority of the messenger so that we can understand the authority of the message. The message of true freedom. So let me ask you as we close here. Has this message liberated you from a life of sin and self? Because maybe you don't know about this feeling of this weight being lifted off your shoulders. Perhaps you have never felt the burden of sin and acceptance lifted away and felt truly forgiven in Christ. And maybe you're trying to take care of it by yourself to the extent that you are perhaps a recovering legalist who is working in his own power, acknowledging that we have been saved by grace, but when we attempt to live the Christian life, we do it in our own strength. Always working according to your own rules. Creating all these extra standards and rules on top of God's already revealed standards and commands. And so easily pointing out other people's sin, but ignoring your own. Or are you working to earn God's favor? Adding and doing all these things to feel right with God. It's really my prayer as a church that we are set free 
from that kind of thinking, from that kind of living, to protect the purity of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And so it's good to start a letter about the gospel with the gospel. Paul is amazing. Jesus is amazing. Because Paul's message is his message. Let's pray and ask God to transform us through this word. Father, we thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. Father, we try and imagine what it would look like if Living Hope Church grabs hold of the message of Galatians where we truly embrace the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that through your Spirit you would set us free from anything that we do ourselves to be right with you. Anything self we do to lead on our own understanding to be right with you. So Father, we ask that through the study of your word, your spirit would transform us and change us. Help us really come to understand the purity of the gospel. Help us to protect it. Help us to discern the lies around us. And help us follow you. Because you love us and you gave yourself for us. So that we can live for your glory. And we praise you, Jesus' name. Amen.